0: Welcome to part two of our Greatest Drivers of the Modern Era episode. In this podcast, we evaluate Lewis Hamilton's demeanour against his old rivals Fernando Alonso and Nico Rosberg. We speculate how Max Verstappen will rise to the challenge to become a world champion in 2021. Car regulations at the time, any time they change the diameter of a tire from a slick to a groove, from a tire wear to a non-tire wear, these all make slight differences that may favor one driver over the other. And when you go into those comparisons, you kind of have to give the the context with it. So like the 2007 control Bridgestone, it'd be hypothetically, if you were to put Alonso and Hamilton together um, at, let's say, mercedes how would you see that pairing out? Let's say compared to 2007 McLaren, which was a different animal of car, a car 150 kilos lighter with controlled tires, a different animal of car. The grip has moved on, the downforce has moved on. Mm. If you were to put Alonso and Hamilton, and it's a shame because Alonso never gets mentioned in those brackets; it's always Verstappen, and Alonso is often forgotten about.
1: Um, how would you see it fairing out if they were putting the same car today? So say like from if they were paired. If he signed for Mercedes to join Hamilton in 2017 instead of Bottas, um, let's say that, yeah. yeah, let's say that happened. Um, that's a, a fantastic question. Uh I mean, in terms of, you know, if they were completely isolated from each other, like if if they weren't able to see each other's lap times and stuff like that, and they were to go about their preseason testing, that's one thing. But um I think the reality is Hamilton would have loved that and alonso would have hated that you know so it's almost like are we discussing a hypotheticals world where it wouldn't have bothered alonso i i think he would have it wouldn't he wouldn't have had the meltdown that he had in 2007 but i think uh it would not have got the best out of him you would have seen more errors creeping in uh you know there were moments in 2007 like that famous when, when Hamilton out-qualified Alonso by about six-tenths at Shanghai, and Alonso kicked the door off its hinges, literally, in anger, he, he believed it was like a conspiracy against him. He just could not compute that someone in the same car could be that much quicker than him. Um, wasn't, there, wasn't there some argument about tyre pressures in that qualifying session? Well, there that, wasn't, yeah, in the following race. Like, they yeah, they had an independent uh, inspector there to... to to just monitor the tire pressures and sure i i like i i'm sure there's no way that was six tenths of raw driving ability that hamilton had over alonso i'm sure there was other stuff that going on there still the point was the same that his alonso's his head then completely dropped in, in the following race in sao paulo you know he was nowhere he finished third but uh you know in terms of the relative pace he was nowhere that weekend Um, when he should have been fired up for it so it's like even someone as fired up and relentless as Alonso he's only human and I think if he's paired with someone in the same car who who has an edge on him I don't think we would see the best of him anyway so it's it's almost a redundant question it's a fascinating one but I think in in real world terms it, it would only disappoint you. I don't think you'd see the best out of Alonso. Now, however, let's let's pretend, let's go along with this hypothesis and let's say Alonso matured because it's tw- 2017, we're pretending he signed for Mercedes. Full 10 years after, he was like 35 at this stage. How, with this new mature approach, how would he compare with Hamilton's cars? I suspect it would be almost closer than it was in 07 because Hamilton could... uh the way he was able to drive, the Bridgestones just let him do that in two thousand and seven. He could trail brake everywhere. He, you know, he he could um, he could do things to his car that would destroy your tires in the modern day. Okay, I is think there, there was a lower ceiling on the the driving? If you know what I mean, it's like in in, in 07, It was more like pure virtuosity. Like the drivers could really express themselves. I think they're reined in slightly by the tires and just the the sheer downforce of these cars.
0: A, sli- a slight side question to that: Had um, in two thousand and seven, Hamilton was a rookie. He got, you know, he did loads of testing. We would have followed Hamilton's career closely in the years afterwards, and we always kept saying it that, and uh, until two thousand and fifteen, really. And at this stage, he was a three time world champion in two thousand and fifteen. We kept asking what was Hamilton's best year in the sport and we always said his debut year. Yeah,
1: I think that year was a perfect storm in in a lot of ways. Did he did he
0: have the advantage of having a team making up for his weak points or was it just that the car and everything was suiting his style and his style of attacking was perfect for that time and he, and because he didn't know much else, it didn't matter. It's only kind of when he got to 2011 when this new formula came in of, you know, cheese for tires that <laughs> that all of a sudden a weakness was exposed something that he'd never done before and it now Eventually got his head around those too,
1: but yeah, I think um yeah. So it is combination of things. In two thousand and seven, it w- it was just pure out and out sprint racing, and I can't think of a better sprint racer really than Hamilton. You're splitting hairs to find another one. So there's that. There's the fact that I think in terms of psychologically, I think that was the perfect year for him. Perfect in that a few things on that. Firstly. The the expectations on him were not high. He was paired against the double world champion. So if he's within four-tenths of him, it's like, wow, good job. If he's getting podiums while Alonso's winning, fantastic. So it was, it, like we're saying with Verstappen, all of his wins until this season have been kind of like unexpected. So it's been all like he's never been in this pressure situation. He's just found himself like... These wins, psychologically, they've kind of fallen into his lap. He's just like, oh, great, Um, I happen to be in a position to win this race today. So he goes off and does his thing. And it was like that with Hamilton in 07. He was able to just race kind of like a, a boy again, you know, just like he didn't have all these expectations. Like in 2006, he made tons of errors in GP2 because there was the pressure of trying to win the GP2 title that he was exactly. expecting to win, and he wanted to win because uh, he wanted a shot at McLaren and in the F1. So it was like the pressure was off him, and if you look at that season, it's a tale of really two halves. That The first, I think, nine races, didn't he score? Is it eight or nine consecutive podiums? And then yeah. the second half of that season, a lot of it was luck-related, but it was much more up and down.
0: I uh, think Spahn, Monza, I remember after the summer break, uh,
1: Alonso was clearly a good bit stronger. Um, yeah, exactly. Hamilton did actually have a bit of a dip in performance. Uh, but the other thing I was going to say is that I think Hamilton is, um, I, I we've talked about this before, I know I've made this point to you a million t- of times before, but it, it's worth repeating that um, Hamilton, he seems to raise himself to whatever level the challenge requires.
0: Yeah exactly there's an element of um if he's not getting fully challenged um and if he feels he's got someone in his pocket that he kind of goes to sleep
1: a bit sometimes yes 100 percent. i think 2016 was a product of that he'd just beaten nico rosberg two years consecutively jeez do i have to prove i'm better than this guy again just to win easily in this car again oh that's boring you know i want to show the world how much better i am than these people And it kind of caught him off guard. It was like those first few races of that season, uh, Rosberg racked up all these wins. And then by the time Hamilton shook himself up to like, almost gave himself a slap and a a splash of water in the face, like, oh, I I need to focus here. I might not actually win this championship. It was almost already too late. Then a few uh, uh, luck factor just went against him and he kind of he essentially ran out of time it's like if there had been another five races to that 2016 season i'm sure hamilton would have pulled it back and won in the end um
0: he had a lot of mechanical failures but as you say they're um probably one of the most immature times i'd ever seen lewis hamilton was probably suzuka 2016 and yeah. he lost that race none of when he when the chat fair enough he just had the he came off the back of um an engine failure in Malaysia and the championship was, he was making all these noises about all oh, there's someone up there that doesn't like me or doesn't want me to win. You know, he was coming up with all this, you know, we're talking about Hamilton, the, the driver, you know, Hamilton, the personality is a different beast and it's his personality that drives him to those highs. And it's
1: also the yes. personality that drags him down.
0: Exactly,
1: so, It's a blessing and a curse. And it's like, it, it dri- drives him to highs that would not otherwise be achievable. I think. And what we had in 2007 was just that thing. He he was set the most monumental challenge. And yet at the same time, there were zero expectations. So that was the perfect combination. It gave him all the motivation he could ever need to completely focus and deliver, not just drive the wheels off the car and do his whole natural ability racing thing, but to really focus and be really professional and keep it all together. He had all that. In that year and as I say along with the the benefit of no one expecting that and then the second half of that season it's like he was then expected to go on and deliver the championship and that's when we started seeing uh it started being a little bit more shaky uh, yeah you know um and Alonso also it, it I think it bizarrely almost would have been unnerving to Hamilton the way Alonso kind of just seemed to fade. it's just like huh. And then he's like, okay, so I'm racing the Ferraris now, and suddenly everyone's looking to him. And that was almost a precursor to 2008, where he was on such so much of a higher level than Massa and Raikkonen at driving the car that he was sort of expected to be able to win the title when, in reality, he didn't have the fastest car. So uh, on what we had in 2008, then as a result of all those expectations and not a clear, he didn't have that thing to chase after, which was like. Alonso he he suddenly was in this position where Alonso um, left
0: and Heike Kovalainen came in and he had Heike Kovalainen in his pocket basically
1: yeah exactly so it's like his um his target was less clear it's easy to say well your target's to win the world championship but I don't think that's how how he's wired I think he wants to win the world championship as a byproduct of kicking ass in races and beating all these other really good drivers you know and mm-hmm. I, I think this year we're going see um, we're going to see a lot of the best of Hamilton, at least. Well, it remains to be seen how many mistakes he may or may not make. But I think the fact that he's, he's got such fierce competition and he's totally switched on to it. He, it, it delivers new highs. And that's really the strength of Hamilton. It's that ability to almost transcend his own level when he has a target that he really he has like this emotional need to achieve. Um, yeah, it, he gets incredible things out of the car, and yeah, it's new
0: territory for for Max Verstappen, and you can kind of um when when both let's be honest, both drivers are. I think there's there's a pretty fair case based on what we've seen so far. The cars are probably more closely matched than ever any other two different cars have been in history. <laughs> it's quite. No, no, that's not even a joke. Uh, the, the the Mercedes and the Red Bull are like if you if you we talk about the mclaren and ferrari of 07 let's say when they were closely matched not really it was tra- it was completely track dependent which favored one and the other exactly uh was this one there is a there is an element of that where some unique tight tracks like monaco will probably invariably favor the faster changing direction red bull yeah um Whilst the longer sweeping corners, as you said before, like in Portimao, did seem to, the Merc did seem to be the slightly stronger package, and the mm-hmm. way you judge that is um, how close their teammates are to their competitors. Sometimes that's usually how you judge
1: mm-hmm.
0: how good the car is. And, and Sergio Perez seems to be, you know, getting on top of things. He 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 didn't wasn't quite in the mix to be able to catch them, but he he was got stuck behind Norris, and that 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 decided you know that decided the strategic race in Mercedes' favor, but. Mm-hmm. As you say, the mistakes that both drivers have made this year it's indicative of how much pressure they're putting on themselves just to deliver the result. Um, mm-hmm. It also seems to affect their qualifying performances as well. I think when they're when they need to hang it out at the right time, little errors creep in. Where like Verstappen should have been on pole at the weekend in Portimao, he yeah. made that slight track limits error, and you know did it again in the races. That's how fine these 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 drivers are really pushing to the edge, and I think this mm. could be the, one of the finest championships ever in the history of the sport in terms yeah. of back and forward. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely
1: fascinating. I think uh, it was interesting that listening to like Chris talk about Verstappen, he, he's always very quick to point out, "Oh, that's another Verstappen mistake." You can almost see him like tallying the mistakes that he's been making. And on one on the one hand, you can say, "Oh, is that a bit harsh?" But uh, yeah, I, I can almost see. I think that that race in Portimao and just Verstappen's demeanor after qualifying just how sunken he looked I'm beginning to wonder actually if this might be all a bit much for him and the like this specific season and the reason I say that is because he's been waiting for so long to be in this position to win a championship and this may well be uh, Red Bull's best shot in years at winning it who knows what the future holds but logically they're going to devote a serious amount of resources into developing this car over this long 23 race season. Um, Mercedes have just won, uh, what is it? Five or six consecutive uh, championships. And uh, I think it's, it would be almost inevitable and forgivable if Mercedes just, just were not as fully invested in this year as Red Bull. Red Bull are kind of putting all their chips in this year. So that, In itself, delivers an expectation on Verstappen that isn't there on Hamilton. Hamilton's got all these titles. He can probably win more in the future. With Verstappen, it's like he's trying to break his duck. He's trying to get his first one. And uh, like I was saying, in 07 was a bit of a perfect storm with Hamilton, with the relative low expectations and having that motivational factor of like Alonso. To, to compare himself against. It's almost the other way around now for Verstappen this year in that um, there are actually expectations on him, and yet he's never won a title before. He's never been even in a title fight before, and he is in what people are calling the fastest car, even though the, the, this, based on that weekend and what you were saying, my heart almost sank when, when you said about the... Uh, Mercedes sorting out their diffuser that they had an update and that seems to have sorted out um, a, a rear instability issue that they had. And my heart almost sank because it's like, oh, could this be that we've just got uh, Mark is just you know normal service? Going to wipe,
0: going to wipe the floor. Um, no,
1: hope, hope not, but but anyway, just the the, the last thing I was just going to say is that um, yeah, for stopping the the perception at the moment is that he's in the fastest car um, and that it's not much in it, but. That he, you know, if you went down to the bookies, that he should be the slight favourite, and I think that's putting pressure on him, which is gonna, it's gonna definitely yield some errors from, him. and I just hope for his sake that he can hold it together because there we have noticed he, he does seem to get a bit rattled, and I, I think the fact that he he's now uh, getting a taste of what it's like to be in a championship battle against Hamilton and Hamilton loves battle he he has a real taste for it he lives for it we don't yet know if that's the case for Verstappen maybe he's more of a sort of a battle guy he likes to run and hide and Mm. I think
0: if anything it's Red Bull that's putting the pressure on Max at the beginning of this season the way Horner is talking about the championship etc I think Max probably knows himself he's carrying that team Red Bull Red Bull yes they've got a lot of resources but
1: compared to mercedes they're just a very well-ran formula three team aren't they about 200 staff short of mercedes something or, like that yeah 5, no, and Red have about
0: 800 i think something like that with staff and mercedes have their own in-house engine thing which just makes up their staff numbers as well and red bull are now transitioning to that which will be fascinating in years to come um mm. big gamble but anyway i, I do feel that Red Bull almost see that this is their last year with full manufacturer support, and they know they might have a couple of tough years ahead once Honda uh, leave the sport at the end of this year. It's it's almost like Red Bull are they're in the moment now, and they feel they have to seize it, and the yes. pressure's on everyone. The, the, the thing is, look, both drivers, at the end of the day, they're both racking up the points where they can. The mistakes they've made have not been race-ending. Hamilton, in fairness, got very lucky that he didn't you know you got very lucky that he's not seventeen points down on for right now in in Neila. so yeah. Um, yeah, true, very true. yeah. so I think both drivers are capable of errors and mistakes. and I think the margins are so fine between both cars and probably both drivers that either one of them, it will be you see C- it I think they're I think between both of them, you're going to see a lot more mistakes throughout the year. It's going yeah. and like and it's something that hasn't been seen in Formula one a long time where cars ditched in qualifying or something like that where and like as in championship contending ending moments and 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 seasons if you all the seasons histories point to that when the championship is very competitive and very close if you look at 2010 that was a perfect storm of people making errors across the entire year and you ended up with five drivers about to win the world title at the last race you know <laughs> or four drivers the, the season the competition isn't that close it's just hamilton and verstappen but it's going to swing and roundabout throughout the season, and it's going to be like a pendulum going back and forward between the two. That's what I predict. But I know what you were talking about the Mercedes, you know the extra performance they found around Portimao, and you know that they, they look pretty compliant. The car looked pretty compliant around Imola. The, the, the temperatures might not have been so high at Imola, Portimao. They weren't exactly in the stratosphere. They had a very hard compound of tire that tends to favor the Mercedes anyway. If you look, let's say for example, the relative performance of the Alpine, like they jumped from uh tail end charlies to uh fight probably quicker than the ferrari and maybe close to the mclaren and in in race trim in portimo and like two race swing that's not all performance related that a lot of that is to do with um with the way the tires are and how each what will actually matter in every grand prix this year is almost which compounds pirelli select and yeah. like the the general trend we've known is that red bull likes the softer selection of tires so to give a bit of context, Pirelli have five compounds. They take three of those to every Grand Prix. It depends in, Depending on which circuit they're at, they pick a different range of those tires to choose from. The softer the selection, the more that would tend to favor the Red Bull and less favor the Mercedes. At, at Portimao, you had the hardest compound of tire, which was the C5, 4, and 3, which was the hardest range to select from. And you will have the same at Spain. Monaco then will be completely the opposite. And I could see Red Bull coming back into their own there. So it, it will be down to it's so tight that it's just going to be down between the it's it's almost like you've given them put them more or less in the same car. There will be some minor. Mm. It's very hard. It's very hard for people to predict what is the fastest car now. Um, and the yeah. and like the fact that both Perez and Bottas are right there with them. Well, I say right there with them. And um, they're still giving away two or three tenths to their teammates at best when they're all on swinging, all swinging and moving. The the tires this year seemed to uh, and this is another factor that's not really been talked about uh, at at length by anyone is that uh, we're three races in now Pirelli have a new construction of tyre it seems to be very difficult to get it into a working window now Portimo is kind of a wild exception that it's like that every time you go to Portimo but MLS seemed to be the same and Bahrain to a lesser extent it looked like the tyres were quite tricky to fire up for that one qualifying lap and it allowed some drivers to Overperform the car or qualify the car or whatever you want to call it, but hmm. then you've got the pressure of say Verstappen and Hamilton who feel like they have to deliver those laps. If you look at Bahrain, let's say for example, in qualifying Verstappen outqualified Hamilton by four tenths of a second. Like that's an indicative of when the pressure is completely off for Verstappen. Like he yeah. had no nothing to prove and he 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 pulled that length. And I have the feel I have a feeling he was so downhearted after Portimao like that would have been his pole only for the track limits thing. Yeah, uh, you could see it within him that it was he was eating himself inside with it. I think Verstappen will bounce back pretty hard, and when he does, Mercedes ought to be ready. It's my belief. um, Yeah, Yeah. I think
1: we're definitely going to see ebbs and flows, and uh, I mean this is why it's so fascinating to talk about. It's because it's it's so marginal between them. You know, we can't rely on like, well, Mercedes will have the faster car, so this will happen, or for stopping will be faster in qualifying, so this will happen, or Hamilton will be faster in the race, so this will happen. We just don't know. All of those things are are genuine unknowns. So I, I think it'll ultimately come down to assuming that both teams are more or less throwing the kitchen sink at this year. As I say, I think if there's one team who would back off on development relative to the other, it would be Mercedes. But assuming that the drivers are both given the best platform possible, I think it'll come down to just who makes less critical errors or, or, or who can make errors that don't cost as much so for example the fact that hamilton made a big pretty big damn error in emola uh, totally got away with it you know he was in second at the time incredible to think after sliding off the track crunching your front wing uh that you then still end up second in the race i mean that that feels like no that that was from back in like the 1980s when you know cars <laughs> were multiple seconds faster than others that that would be possible so uh, yeah it's gonna come down to I, I yeah i think who really keeps their head and i i have a feeling um hamilton has the advantage in that but 11, he's so, he's been
0: through the championship run before several times he's been how many title fights has he been involved in he's probably been since 2007 2008 2010 um 2014, 15, 2014, 2017 kind of fizzled out, 2018 fizzled out, so sort did of 19. Um, I think in 16 is when he was really, really on the back foot uh, with Rosberg. And like you said, those errors creeped in and it was almost like it, it was detriment to his fantasy. Things weren't working out and he sort of seemed to implode a little bit in 2016.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. He wasn't winning. And even if he had won that championship, it would still be like, well, how, how come it was so close? You know this guy Rosberg. Yeah, he had he had
0: an awful lot of mechanical issues that year, set him on the back foot. But equally, there was several performances where sometimes like, he kind of got a little lucky with the twenty sixteen win at Monaco with the Red Bull decision, and um, the same time somewhere like Suzuka where he completely he completely fluffed the start and didn't drive a fantastic race after and let Rosberg walk away from it. Like you could see his head was getting at him, and Rosberg has always maintained getting into Hamilton's head seems to be the way to destabilize him, despite the fact that there's a pace def- deficit and Nico yeah. Rosberg is almost a little mini podcast worth in his own. Um, he's, yeah, he is. He's the bridge between, guy. he is the bridge between, um, Hamilton and Schumacher, isn't he?
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's so true. Um, I think Rosberg's sort of like, he's been, um, I think unfairly judged in, in F1 history. Um, a very interesting data point that I will always remember is when Sergio Perez was interviewed, and this was around 2013, 2012, it was in the height, the peak of the Vettel dominance when the conventional wisdom was that Vettel was, uh, had now eclipsed Hamilton, you know, um, if you didn't actually know what you're talking about. And uh, he, he, he was like, he was asked something about Vettel and he was like, well oh sure i think rossberg he, he's the fastest german it was something like that the, the way i've said it almost makes it sound like he was it was equipped like he was having a laugh but it wasn't whatever it was it was whatever way he put it it was like he he knew and it was just like for those in the know those who have access to the telemetry and the data inside the paddock you know away from the whole the media hype understand that uh no Rosberg is at least as good as Vettel. And it's like, well, how would he know that? And that's an interesting thing to come out and say that, you know, because it's a very deliberate, specific thing to say. He wasn't even being asked about Rosberg. And yeah, I guess with Rosberg, um, uh, he's almost like more of a Prost than what Prost was. I mean, with with the thing of like getting into Hamilton's head, that's true. His dodgy uh, maneuvers that he did in Monaco, I firmly believe he uh, he intentionally did that. Um, was that 2014?
0: 2014, yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, just other things I heard, like the sheer uh, dedication he put into winning in 2016. Like, I'm not saying these things definitely paid off for him, but for example, he said that he, he deliberately stopped, I think it was doing a leg press exercise, one of the leg exercises, so that he would lose muscle in a leg. Uh, because he wanted to have that extra weight to play around with his ballast. Um and like he really talk about fighting total war, waging total war. He he went completely to town on it in 2016. And you couple that with his his undoubted speed. He was extremely fast and I think underrated uh in terms of his outright speed driver. Um you couple those things two things together and he he was able to win a world championship from Hamilton you know um it was incredible but and yeah and you, you then look at the other data points like how how really he just had Schumacher in his pocket for the majority of those three years that they were teammates obviously plenty of caveats about that and we discussed that at length earlier um but yeah I guess th- just to bring it back to Hamilton there is that uh I think um uh, the I, I'm at the minute I'm sitting this might sound like an easy thing to say because he happens to be leading the world championship, but I, I'm putting Hamilton as the favorite for this year. Um I I just think that he will not drop the ball. Um if Verstappen will keep him honest, he respects Verstappen too much to, to take the eye off the ball in the way they did in 2016. And uh he doesn't have such a huge uh Thing to overcome is say like bad reliability that he faced in 2012, or just an inferior car in 2010, 2011 years where you know he was there thereabouts in the championship, but he couldn't get it done. um I think it's it's tight enough for it to be a thrilling season, um and also tight enough for Hamilton as a driver probably to make the difference. And I, I don't mean that as a. I'm not saying that that means he's an indication that he's superior to Verstappen. I just think it's a, a reflection of where they both sit in their careers. Like Hamilton's gunning for his eighth title. It, who knows what he said recently, but I would have thought in theory he would be quite happy to to retire on eighth. But I, I think he'll retain that mentality, like, you know, like just go out with an eighth or something, and that'll be how he'll look at it. And it's all gravy to him. Whereas with Verstappen, again, it's this like, this hunger to win a title that might get the best of him in the crucial moments, you know. Yeah,
0: it could be like um, what something that's uh, some people are kind of touching on. Um, the first three races, quite oddly, all the both of them have come together on track in a racing battle in a racing situation. Mm. Um, all three races, they've fought for the lead or fought for inherently the lead, like the first corner at Imola and uh Hamilton trying to hang it around the outside in Bahrain obviously Verstappen probably would have had the track limits thing not been a thing Verstappen would have won that and pulled it off with the different variants and strategy and then Portimo um I thought the uh you, you seen in Imola the the little sort of Max placing his car saying you better get out of the way Lewis type thing where he kept his car online and didn't give Hamilton the space and said look you're gonna to have to take to the curb there if you want to get around me you know mm-hmm. um then you had in Portimao, uh, when at the at the safety car restart, like Hamilton did make that error where he was watching his mirrors and yep. he let Bottas get away and stuck out of Botas' toe, and then he made the instinct maneuver to turn to move right, and Verstappen took Botas' toe and overtook him. Mm. So, um, mm. You know, I, I don't think uh, I think both drivers will be feeling the pressure, I, as you say over the course, like you say, because Hamilton relishes that challenge and. Maybe you'll see the best of him this year against that. Um, I think it, I think it's going to be so tight between them that mistakes are just inevitable on both sides. And yeah, um, I and again, um, my my gut feeling is is that um, I think when if Max can start to block out, if he starts taking like, do you remember back in two thousand and ten when um, Vettel won the title with Red Bull? Now obviously that Red Bull was a rocket ship, and he was in a different scenario to what Verstappen was in, but. Like mm-hmm. Vettel geared himself up for that mentally by almost pretending that there wasn't a championship on the line and just treat each race as yep. a race. Yeah. And uh I think if Verstappen can adopt that mindset, I think he'll uh you know, he'll be he'll be making Hamilton work very hard. That's that's my belief. And if he can yeah. again, as you say, it's new to him. Uh, he's developing it. Look, they've both got solid points on the board, um I, right now in the first two races, and that's what's important to build a championship campaign, is that you need to at all cases, you know, back out, uh, get the points on the board. But do you see a flashpoint happening? It's almost inevitable that at some point these two are going to come together and someone's going to come off way off worse and someone <laughs> might get a penalty. Like, it's it's yeah. inevitable these two are going to come together where neither one is going to give way.
1: Yeah, so, something has to give at some point. Um, there's no way they're going to have 23 races without a collision where it's the two of them exclusively juking it out for the win. Um, Yeah, and this is a thing I was going to say there, is like, in in spite of everything I've just been saying about I think Hamilton has a slender psychological advantage uh, on balance this year, everything I'm saying here is uh, liable to being overtaken by events. That's just how it currently stands. But um, If, 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 if Red Bull go to... If there's a sequence of tracks where the Red Bull is clearly the faster car and Verstappen then builds up a lead in the championship, then it's going to be, you know, all the pressure suddenly on Hamilton. Like, he's going to start sweating. Like, can I actually get this done? And, you know, say if there's then a, a group of, quote-unquote, Mercedes tracks coming up where the pressure is on him to have to yield maximum points at these tracks where, you know, I have the best chance. That's just one example. Um, so, I yeah, I mean... Part of me is tempted to say look all bets are off like screw this entire conversation <laughs> uh, we can't <laughs> leave, it, leave it and let's just wait and see because like just the whatever combination of events happen in the races uh is probably gonna be the determining factor but ultimately that's that's uh um a compliment to these drivers it's to say that they are so e- equally matched i think um it's so hard to say which one is truly better than the other. Uh, we didn't
0: talk. We didn't talk too much about Max. We've talked about sort of yeah. the modern greatest drivers in Formula One, and we're talking about. Uh, we've often talked about that the the alien space race comes down and send a driver to off to the to the moon and do a, a race against aliens.
1: Um, well, just for context, just, yeah. My my scenario is that um, if you're trying to decide what the best drivers are in the world, you have to imagine that. An alien race lands on Earth uh, with the threat of destroying humanity unless they can win an intergalactic race in, like, the galaxy Andromeda. The,
0: the, the and, interla- intergalactic Grand Prix with, the uh, yeah. you know, Liberty Media will take
1: care of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you got all these drivers there with, like, you know, three heads and 16 eyes and stuff. And it's like, which humans do we send to represent humanity so that we don't get wiped out? Hmm. you know who do you send and it's like i think that's a great way of cutting through the fluff of like uh, i know if you're on the auto sport forums a few years ago you would have got jensen button fans saying oh he he should be there because he's so smooth on his tires he 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 doesn't just like nurse that last stint on his tires he then drives home you know across the the calais uh drives home to Froom on that set of tires Um, (laughs) sort of you know complete uh exaggeration of the importance of things that actually are nowhere near as important as just how bloody fast the driver is you know and um yeah that that's sorry i cut you off there i think but we're just getting to say like you know who would earth send i guess and yeah i think we 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 all agree earth would definitely send hamilton and verstappen um sorry i again i cut you off there no
0: you're fine um that's but that's kind of that's that's still the way of categorizing it um where is my train of thought going with that? My train of thought was sort of going with um, um for no right? Yeah. We yeah. haven't talked an awful lot about him at length, and we've we've talked about sort of uh Hamilton, how he, you know, we've talked about about Alonso, we talked about Schumacher and Hamilton, and for right? Um, it's been clear that since he was a fetus, he was going to be some <laughs> Formula <laughs> One world champion. It's like soon as he jumped into a car, he just was on its limit pretty much instantly. Yeah. Do we see for Stappen's teammates, right? um, If you look at who did he have as his teammates, he had Carlos Sainz, he had Daniel Ricciardo. He had two kind of, well, he had, he had Pierre Gasly and Alex Albon, two journeymen Mm -hmm. um, as teammates who were never going to match him. Um, Like with Red Bull, in those seasons when he joined, Red Bull has always been a, a team that's been threatening to win if Mercedes ever dropped the ball or Ferrari ever dropped the ball. In those seasons from twenty sixteen to twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, yeah. and twenty. So, like with Max, where do we see Max? Like we we have enough data points almost to sort of roughly know where Hamilton sits at. We know enough data points to know where Alonso sits at. Um, where does Verstappen really lie? Is, is my question. And, and it's, it's obvious that he's brilliant, but just how brilliant is he?
1: Yeah, I think, as I've said before, I see him as the most sort of natural heir to Michael Schumacher. I think the fact that Hamilton's on seven titles and Schumacher won seven is almost incidental. They've won them in kind of different ways. Their driving styles, uh, their racing style, I should say, and their character is very different. They have different strengths. They they have similar strengths in terms of how to actually deliver a lap time, but in in most other senses, they're I think they're quite different people. With Verstappen, I see him more like Schumacher in that Schumacher was quite a a ruthless and often clumsy racer. Sometimes almost uh, clumsy to his advantage, you know, because he, he would just bash people out of the way and like occasionally get away with it. Um, and I see kind of that with Verstappen. Verstappen's a real—he's a Mike Tyson on, on the on the race track. He's um, whereas like with with Hamilton, you see all this natural karting racecraft, like just such a gifted racer. Uh, hard but fair with Verstappen. It's like he's like the Terminator. He's like extremely fast. And if he has the inside line into the corner, you better get out of the way. Or even if you have the inside line into the corner, at uh, you know you you better not understeer into him because he's not going anywhere um this sort of recalcitrant uh, approach to to his racecraft that makes him just extremely stubborn and, and hard to break down uh, on occasions that will lose him points through colliding with people that he shouldn't be um and it what's be interesting start of
0: 2018 rings a bell
1: yeah 100% him and ricardo again it was it was the uh, unstoppable force versus the immovable object type thing i think the immovable object uh won <laughs> that was uh, <laughs> for job that year um but yeah it, it it was gonna say it could be interesting this year because he he almost certainly will have to temper that approach um he's been people were criticizing him for that rough uh style of racing uh before and the way i looked at it was almost like No, he's almost banking for the future. He's investing for the future. He's building up a reputation that he cannot be bullied off the road. I mean, you compare him to Valtteri Bottas. Everyone knows that you just need to show Valtteri uh, a whiff of a front nose up the inside of him in the corner, and he'll he'll yield or he'll give you all the room you could possibly need. He's so polite. And that's the total opposite of Verstappen. He will make life so hard on you to get past. And that was all good back then, but now, you know, because he could afford to collide with people. Now he can't afford to collide with people. That could be the championship gone. Um, So, yeah, but again, in terms of like how do we ultimately rate him, uh, that's the similarity I see between him and Schumacher is this alien-like ability to to drive the wheels off a car. And yet conversely, this almost clumsy racecraft that can in a perverse way work as a strength to them. Um yeah if you let's if you took a couple of those
0: comparison points where you talk about the clumsiness. Like um I remember 2018 Bahrain Grand Prix when um Ham- Verstappen was overtaking Hamilton in the early laps of the race and Verstappen properly they were side by s- into turn one Hamilton was trying to hang around the outside Verstappen just completely cut him off but in doing so he he punctured his own tire yeah um, but like verstappen already had the position seemed to already have the position but to make sure of that he properly frightened him or properly shoved hamilton off the road and like i remember hamilton in the post race interview uh, sorry the post race podium where before they go to the podium they're in the green room and they're looking at the highlights of the race going back and it's showing the start and it's showing the bit where Verstappen's running over Hamilton's front wing and Hamilton, unsbeknownst himself, didn't realise that cameras were on and he just goes, such a dickhead.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, exactly. And, and that that was exactly how the uh, the field received Schumacher. He was just like, what a dickhead. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, yeah, Max they admired has a- him. Yeah, they admired him, uh, but they also, they could never like really warm to him. And I think that that's why i was certainly never a schumacher fan um like as a, much of a pragmatist as i am i don't like someone who is willing to win by screwing other people over like really screwing them over like in a truly shameful way what he did like the classic uh, dick dastardly you know it's um yeah. from right. wacky races i know and there's just no getting away from that schumacher fans will always apologize for that um you know, oh, it's part of who he is, and it's in his DNA, and he's such a, a wonderful, warm-hearted person. But uh he could have flash moments. Well, I'm sorry that like a psychopath could say that. Like he's he's a great person 99.9 percent of the time, but then that 0.1 percent of the time, he just like I don't know pushes a granny into the lake or something because it just it just <laughs> occurs to him to to do this in this flash of red mist. Um, I kind of see that with. Verstappen. Um you know, he, he's. He, I think uh, now that he's in a position where he has points to truly throw away, that aspect of his driving is really going to be under the microscope, and he's going to, if he does uh, throw away points through a very uh, ill-judged collision, he's going to have some serious heat on him. Um, Stewards, Stewards' penalties and that kind of
0: thing. And the yeah. Stewards' penalties can always swing it. They can always, uh, depending on who the championship is favoring at any given time, uh, yeah. Stewards, you know, they can they can blow one way or the other.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, that's actually an interesting point that you brought up there because in 2007, mostly, um, as the head of the FIA and Bernie Ackleston as uh, CEO of Formula One, um, there was clearly an anti-McLaren agenda at play, a rivalry, a, a vindictive personal feud between Ron Dennis and the powers that be in Formula One. And also uh, on the other side of that, you had Ferrari's privileged status in Formula One. And what it uh, resulted in were some very dodgy uh, stewarding decisions over several years, Um to favour, seemingly to favour Ferrari when 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 it came to the crunch um, now we're in a different era, Liberty are in charge, but again it's not like suddenly it's a bunch of saints who have taken over, I think ultimately what they want is a juicy title battle and uh, if one driver or the other is getting away from the other and then there's a possibility to hit them with a penalty that'll bring them rubber band them back in uh, you know so that they don't uh, run off and hide. You could you could see them deciding, you know, to to favour, shall we say, um, a, a decision that would benefit the World Championship, if not the integrity of the sport. <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, you had to look at um that Russia decision last season when Hamilton parked outside the pit lane and made the practice start on going to the grid, like not even in the session. And they, and they threw the 10-second penalty at him in the race, and you know um drive to survive went out of their way to make it look like botas had overcome adversity that weekend when in reality <laughs> botas gifted that win through a penalty that was a bit harsh yeah. um so like like that the, the stewards will we've seen it before in the past and they'll do it again is if they feel um if they feel like yes, you you had you had that back in 2006 2007 uh, with the stewards getting involved in those title fights as well and um you know making controversial decisions that seem to favor certain team at a home track or whatever it might be and when yeah. you know unjustified decisions and calls made uh, to try and balance even out the score and I think um if the likes of Ross Braun and the guys are running the sport um look they're they won't they will do their best not to med- meddle and interfere but if they do they'll want to be less subtle
1: let's say more subtle than a steward's decision. Yeah. Yeah, it'll exactly. It's they'd play the political game a bit better. It was it was just that it was so brazen and obvious when it came to uh the, the Eccleston, Max Mosley days. And they were just so arrogant. Like there was no one holding them to account. You know, they were judge, jury, and executioner. They could get away with all that. And there's it's no hint not- of them favoring
0: someone, I think, either, but the new guys. That's my feeling
1: yeah i i think that's true as well i i think it's not that they're totally impartial and yeah i think they they would where they could get away with it. they prioritize a decision that would keep the championship more exciting but um i i I think that their hands are more tied there there's less they can do because there's i don't know just the uh saturation of media coverage these days as well in formula one and the fact that liberty seemed to their whole angle is like you know it's all about the fans let's help the fans vote for the driver of the day and um it's yes. all about kissing the ass of the fans I, I don't think they would do something as ridiculous as say slap a penalty on hamilton when it clearly you know he didn't do anything wrong or something like that yeah.
0: well done you've made it to the end and thank you for staying with us join us next time on the first corner of formula one podcast